welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Ben Fitzgerald. This church, Fire Church, doesn't belong to a board. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to uh, as much as I honor uh, Dan and Chelsea because they are God's people that have been pastor Chelsea it is to me when I'm in here. She's my pastor. I'm underneath her leadership and I love that actually and I honor it. And I'd even asked her then, I said, can I go a little longer on the time if I need to? And I'm, on, I'm uh, submitted to that, subordinate to that truth. But the person who owns the church worldwide, the Australian church, the Melbourne church, is Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. And so the first person where to please is always who? Jesus. So whenever somebody preaches a message or teaches stuff that is more about pleasing the people that come to church, they've already got the order wrong. And when the order's wrong, what happens is they're not aligned with Jesus. And when they're not aligned with Jesus and the order isn't correct, see, he said, when I am lifted up, God, he talked about himself, Jesus, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And he said, when I'm lifted up, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. So when we lift up Jesus first, when we do his will first, what happens is the Spirit of God comes, the fruit of God comes, and he draws people unto himself, which means freedom comes. And that's the only way we're actually meant to live. So first it's God, and then we please people out of a loving heart of God. But we're not preaching, and we're not dulling down a message so that somebody in the crowd, maybe only 5% of the crowd, can feel good about today. We're speaking the truth in what? In love. If we take love away, it's no longer, uh, sorry, if we take love out of truth, it's no longer the truth. But if we take truth out of love, it's no longer love. If we remove one from the other, neither of them exist. They both disintegrate. So we need the truth and we need love. Now, when that doctor, when he extracted my tooth, he was kind to me. He cared more about the after effect of my mouth and losing the rest of my teeth, which by the way, when he pulled one, he saw that the second one next to that was decaying. And that's the interesting thing about things in our life. When something is in decay, when there's sin in our world or when there's corruption or judgment or even self-judgment, self-hatred, whatever it might be in our life, when that thing's beginning to stir, it affects everything. And we know that to be true because of the Word. The Word says that a root of bitterness defiles everything. So if you're bitter at one person, all of a sudden everything in your life is defiled. What happens is, you know, your grandpa or your best friend or your uncle did wrong by you, your boss maybe, and you're angry at them. All of a sudden, you're bitter at them. All of a sudden, everybody that even does anything similar to them, even if it's not the same sin, even if they haven't hurt you, they haven't judged you, even if it smells similar, the same judgment, criticism, and hurt comes out of your heart. Why? They're a different person. Why are they being judged with the same rod? Because one little bit of bitterness defiles the way you see It it makes the way you perceive life, walk through life, it puts vision in you that was never God's vision for you. And it destroys relationship. And the kingdom of God and its fruit and the fruit of grace is always worked out in the context of relationship. We're a family. Whether we like it or not, we're joined to each other, which means we need to begin to like the joint. You know, some of the parts of the body of Christ are better than other parts. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, a guy who's really ripped, his arm, like he's... Like, he might look good to a girl who's like, he's got nice biceps, you know. No one really looks at him and goes, wow, look at that kneecap. That's an incredible kneecap. Wow, I'm just so, I was won by his kneecaps. When I saw his kneecaps, it just, that was what got me, you know. No one does that. But how many of you know, without a kneecap, he's not going to be able to move. He can't go anywhere. He's not going to be able to go on a date with you without a kneecap. Some of the parts of the body of Christ that we might think are lesser 
or have lesser value, if we judge those parts or we judge those people, we cut ourselves off from fruitfulness and from the fullness of what it means to move as one family. So before I share today, I don't want you to be defiled by this message because you get upset at it. I don't want you to think this is personally targeted you, but if the Spirit of God cuts it into your heart, then it is for you, but it's for your healing. It's to extract something that could take something away from your future. And I know that to be something very, very powerful because like I said, with my tooth, when he pulled it out, he said, the other one's uh, broke now, but he said, but because you've pulled this one, I can save the second one. If I had have not pulled that one, that one would have died, that one would have died, and the next, and my whole mouth would probably need surgery like I'd need a fake jaw. That's how bad, it was infecting all the way down. And so now he's took that one out and I'm still in pain and everything, but I'm thankful that he did it. So let's talk about what grace is and what grace is not today. And um, I just pray God will really reveal this to your heart. So, okay, Jude uh, chapter zero, uh, <laughs> verse four. For certain men have crept in unnoticed that means women too, by the way, have crept in unnoticed. Now, that word unnoticed is a very interesting word. It means unaware, which means sometimes people creep into our lives or teaching creeps into our life, but we're not aware of it. It doesn't mean we didn't see them. We didn't notice them like they're standing in the back of the church. It means we're not aware because they look the same as everybody else. And false teaching and false truth often looks the same as truth. But when you go to the root of it, it's poisoned. Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness and deny our only Lord and Jesus Christ, the Lord our Savior Jesus Christ. They deny Him. They turn the grace that is given into lasciviousness. Now what is grace? The word grace comes from the word charisma. Charismata, it's charismatic. When someone says, you're so charismatic, that's actually a great compliment because it means you're so full of grace. Grace isn't like this, oh, I love you, I'm graceful. Grace isn't flowing in the wind stuff, right? That's not what grace means. Grace can be fire, grace can be soft, grace can be sweet, but that's only the outward expression of it. Grace means charisma, which actually means empowerment. So grace, it was given by God when he says, I came in the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus' truth, because he's fullness of truth, in the fullness of that comes the fullness of empowerment. So whenever Jesus walks into your life and says, here's the truth, or whenever we read the word and it says, this is the way, that way and that truth is fully equipped with empowerment to live it out. Which means when grace comes to us, it actually helps you to not be your own source of holiness. It helps you to not be your own source of righteousness because you don't have to go, I'm trying so hard. No, let grace work effectively in you. Grace is like jet fuel. It's like wind, you know. I read about these, uh, these guys who do the America's Cup with their sail. They put their sail up in a boat, and this is amazing to me. They have those big sails, and everybody's holding the, the stuff. They are working in a sense, but they can do nothing unless the wind blows. But what they can do with a small piece of wind when their sail is correctly aligned is stunning to me. They can go up to 88 kilometers an hour. That's faster than you going down the M1 from here to Melbourne. A boat going past you with no engine. That's pretty amazing to me because they correctly align that sail with grace. So grace is like that. When you align yourself and your heart with God, you just say, here's my heart. All of a sudden, God empowers you and his wind begins to equip you to do things and to live a certain way that you could never live before. And what it doesn't require is your strength. It requires your alignment. 
But certain men have crept into God's house and they've changed the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know what the word lasciviousness means? It means to have no restraint. Let's think about this for a second. Oh, but you don't understand because, you know, we're so in love and so we had to sleep together. We're so in love. So Jesus said, be holy as I am holy, right? He talked about a covenant of marriage. He talked about giving each other in covenant to one another as a full committed thing. And the gift of that covenant, the same way that when you start a job, the first day you start a job, you begin to get access. You have an access card. You begin to get paid from the same day that you start the job. When you begin marriage, the full, the full benefits of that job start on day one. The full benefits of marriage and of consummation and intimacy and love really begin when you become one on that day. But people say, well, no, I'm, I'm so, you know, we're in love. We care about each other. We're so passionate for each other. And so and what they do is they change the grace of God into what's called unrestrained desire. And they say, I was unrestrained. I couldn't restrain myself. And grace didn't do anything for me. And now they've flipped grace and actually made grace forgiveness. But God never called grace forgiveness. He called it charisma. He called it empowerment. When the grace of God comes upon you, it enables you to live a different way to the world. Grace doesn't come upon you when you've sinned and say, you're okay, I forget what you've done. That's not grace. That's what people do though. They, they come into church, and, and I'm not saying this to everybody. Some people just slip, okay? I understand there might be a heat of passion. I'm not saying this is okay, but I understand it might be in that place and you slip and you repent and, and you're not making a practice of sin. I get that. You might look at porn or something by accident. You're like, I didn't want to see that. And you ring Chelsea or someone, you ring uh, Pastor Greg. You're like, I, don't, I didn't want to see that. Pray for me. I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, then forgiveness comes, which is God's mercy. It washes you. And it says we're washed by the water of the word also. And when that mercy washes you, grace comes to empower you to never look back. You see what I mean? The sail goes back up. You're back in line with Jesus. He's in your heart. He's like, I love you anyway. I still love you. And then all of a sudden, that mercy covered the sin, so the sin's washed away, and then grace empowers you to walk away. But what often people do is they go back into the sin, and then they empower it by making grace, not grace anymore. They make it forgiveness. And when they make it forgiveness, they turn it into lasciviousness, which means whatever I feel I'm going to do, there's forgiveness at the end of that choice. Now, well, let me ask you a question. Now, there's truth in that. Can God be merciful? <laughs> you were looking at the greatest product in this room of mercy. I can prove to you how much I sin. I even sinned in my first few years of Christianity with prostitutes. I went back to my old addiction. Did God forgive me? Yes. But I came very, very close to the place where I nearly turned grace into lasciviousness. In other words, I would go to my mom and dad, and I did. I actually used to go to my mom and dad, and I'd go, uh, uh, you know, I looked at porn, or I did this, and I'd go because I wanted help. But after a while, they would say, you need to do this, this, and this. You need to, to get off your phone. You need to shut down your, your internet. You need to do this. You need to put this computer software on your, your, your computer because it's, it's a problem right now. And until you can get your leg out of that mud, you need, to, you need to kill for a second. You need to kill the mud, freeze the mud for a minute until you can get your leg out of there. But I wouldn't do it. Do you know why? Because I wanted grace to forgive me instead of change me. I didn't want to be changed. And why I didn't want to be changed was because I had gotten used to a source that I fed from, that fed my soul, that made me feel good. And because it made me feel good, what I wanted was God to have mercy on me, but also for me to be able to pat a snake, a serpent, demon in my life, and expect the serpent not to bite me either. 
So one time the Lord says to me, he said, Ben, if you look at pornography again, and this is after me looking at it for hours, when I was probably five years old in the Lord, 15 years old in the Lord now. I looked at it for hours. He said, Ben, if you do that again, it will have physical consequences. Now, I was like, that wasn't God. He wouldn't say that. That's what I thought. The next day, I looked at it again. Now, I was a bit scared when I did because I remember the voice I heard. And I know the voice of God. He said, if you look at it again. Now, I was the day before, I was like, God, I'm so sorry. But he said, if you look at it again, it'll have physical consequences. I looked at it again the next day. I woke up the following day with a cyst about that big in my eyeball, inside my eye. Now, did God go, that's it, he looked at it, cyst. No, the Bible says sin produces what? Death. So what is death? Anything that affects the way we were made. Anything that, that kills life. Am I meant to have two eyes that look straight at you, that are pure, filled with life, that look and see clearly, that don't see women and visualize women? Am I, am I meant to look at life with a clear conscience? Yes, I am. I'm meant to have eyes that produce life. Instead, I had eyes that took life and were sucking on people. And because I did that, the fruit of sin began to produce death in the eyes that were once pure. So what did I do? I had to repent. But what I really had to do was kill the sin. I had to destroy it. I had to go on a mission to not only uh, accept the grace of God that would empower me, but to actually kill any thought system or belief in me that what I was doing was justifiable because God is a forgiving God. And it hurt. And I used to have to come to mom and dad again. Then when I went to Bethel in my first year, it was still there. So you know what I did? I was like, I need to make a hard choice. So I knew the person I looked up to the most was Chris Overstreet. And so I knew the person I had to tell was Chris Overstreet. The one who could deny me opportunity. I knew that that narrow road was the way out of this very, very dark, deceptive mud. But there was a time before I went to Bethel years ago, around that time that I was talking about, where I was starting to justify it. I remember someone said to me once, you can't really do that anymore uh, with girls. And you can't. I said, you don't understand, you know, you don't get it. I used to have all the excuses. I used to have every excuse in my mouth. You don't understand. You don't know what it feels like to be, you, you're so rigid, you don't understand. I love that girl. No, I didn't. It wasn't love. Because love, if I really love someone, let me give Jacob, use him as an example, my little baby nephew. If I love Jacob, and Jacob begins to cry out for a bottle, says, you know, I want, I want to get food. And I'm like, no, I'm hungry. And I just eat myself. I just eat. And I look at him, and he's like crying. And I just, no, I just, I'm just going to eat myself. Am I loving? I'm feeding me first. So if I love my girlfriend and Jesus says, don't touch her, don't hurt her, keep her pure because you want to you give yourself fully to her. You want to have a gift and sex is an amazing, beautiful gift. It's not to be dulled down and make, made all rigid and God doesn't like sex. No, God loves sex. He made it. And the reason why he likes it too is because you're here because of it. He likes that. He likes the fact that you're here. And you're here because mom and dad got it on, right? That's the reality. But when sex is taking from one another, and I'm feeding myself first, and watching Jacob suffer because I'm hungry. Do I love Jacob? No. I love me first. The word lasciviousness, unrestrained. They can't restrain themselves. What if you have an area of your life that's not sexual? Okay, let's talk about another area. Let's talk about gossip. Let's talk about 
you can't stop talking against other Christians. Well, probably most likely in your soul, you feel very judged by God. In your soul, you probably feel he's really angry at you all the time. You don't say that out loud, but you probably have an inward belief that God's mad at you. And because you think he's mad at you, you're mad at you. And so you judge everybody else because it might justify the way you feel because you feel down here. So you have to bring everybody else down with you. But when you do that, some people do this. They, they say stuff about people, but you don't understand. I need to say that because they're doing this. What they do is when they do that is they turn grace into lasciviousness, which means I can't restrain my tongue. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say God's even behind my tongue. God's even in this. I need to talk about it in a godly way. And what they do after that, if they do feel a little convicted or someone says, we shouldn't have said that, they go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. God's graceful. He understands. No, God doesn't understand. God doesn't understand sin. God looked at man in Genesis 1, sorry, Genesis 3, and he saw mankind and he didn't get it. He was like, I don't understand why I would give them everything that they have and everything that they even want and all their desires can be fulfilled, but they just have to have that one apple. I don't get it. Why they could have everything else in the world, but they just have to take one silly apple that the enemy's trying to sell them. And the enemy turned God's grace into lasciviousness as well. He went, God loves you. Surely he does, but he's trying to, you know, he's keeping things back from you. You need to unrestrain yourself a little bit. You need to go a little wild and be a little more free. That way grace will produce something better in you. You have more godliness than you've ever had. And they ate the fruit and because of that, we all fell into sin. Grace, let me say this, grace is not, and people have said this, grace is not a license to sin. But let me tell you what else grace isn't. That's just one way of saying it. Grace is not an excuse. Grace is not your excuse. It doesn't excuse you from sin. It doesn't excuse me. What excuses us is mercy. The blood of Jesus is not the same as the grace of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes you clean, but the grace of Jesus empowers you to be different. But grace is not an excuse. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. We're going to go through a couple of scriptures. Galatians 6, 7. It's really warm in here today. Praise God for the warmth. I'm on fire up here. <clears throat> Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. That's a great way to start a verse, isn't it? Don't be deceived. Now listen, I'm sorry if this message bothers some of bothers people in this room. I'm not trying to at all. God just told me to preach this very clearly this morning. <clears throat> God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's a New Testament verse. God is not mocked. What does that mean? Let me explain what mocking God was when I used to do it. I'd watch porn, and I used to think in my head, as soon as this is over, I'm going to ask him for forgiveness. That was my inward thought like that, come through my mind. So I knew God's nature was bigger than my sin. Is that true? Yes, it is. But what I was doing effectively in that moment was using his nature. So what I did was, is I cut off relationship for, for however long, an hour to look at this stuff. And then when I'd finish with what I wanted, then I'd want to re-engage in the same relationship. So imagine if you're holding hands with your wife and you walk down the street, you see a beautiful girl down the Frankston Beach and you go, honey, hang on one second. And you go grab this girl and you say, can you come, come with me to this hotel just here in Frankston? And say, sweetheart, you just wait here right here at McDonald's. I'll be back in one hour. You come back in an hour, 
and you feel gross and you, you go to her, I can't believe what I just did. And you, you look at her, I'm so sorry. And she's like, what, what did you do? Well, I just went and was with that woman because I just really felt to. And so I, I cut off our relationship, but I know what you're like because you're my wife. You're going to forgive me. What kind of relationship would that be? Sometimes, you know, Jesus, is, he makes us, he, he likens us to the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's the bridegroom, and we're walking down the aisle with our bridal dress, and we're coming to Jesus, and halfway through, we're making out with the world. Imagine a bride came down here, and she was coming to her husband. Halfway through, she just started making out with all these different guys down the middle of the aisle. It would be a disgusting thing to view. So what I was doing was disgusting. Did God call me disgusting? No. What I was doing was disgusting. God still loved me. Does God love you? 100%. Does God love you even when you gossip? Yes. But does he see what you do as good? And does he just think, well, I'm just going to forgive him in 10 minutes anyway? No, he does not think that way. What he gets is disappointed. Can God be disappointed? Totally. He can even be mad, mad, angry. One time, the Lord Jesus came into my actual room. He came into my room a few days after he told me to do, no, not a few days, sorry, six months after he told me to do something. I had a, a texting relationship or, or kind of relationship with this girl. We weren't sinning. There was nothing evil about it. But God told me, cut that girl off your, out of your life because you're not committing to her. So you need to make a decision. Just, you know, break this uh, relationship. Don't let it go in circles all the time. And so I, I just, you know, I heard what he said, but I had a pattern and a habit of life. And so my understanding of his nature is he's always good. He's always with me. So I just continued in the pattern and the habit. Six months later, I'm praying and soaking on the floor of my bedroom, and guess who walks into my bedroom? Jesus himself. I didn't see him physically. I had my eyes closed. I was on my back, but I felt him come to the end of my feet, and I began to shake and tremble, and I was very afraid in a good way. I was like, Jesus, you're here. And the first thing Jesus said to me was, he didn't say anything else. He said, do you respect my father? That's all he said. And I didn't have to ask him, what do you mean? What are you talking about? The second he spoke... All the knowledge of what he was talking about was in those words. And I remembered that six months ago, God said, cut that relationship off. And I went, God, and I knew. I, was, I said, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm, Jesus, I'm sorry. And he said, I have given you this relationship with my father. Will you respect him? See, God, he, he's our father. But Jesus is the one who gave you that relationship. He died. His blood... I can't believe how painful this hole in my mouth is. I was stunned yesterday when I thought about what it would have felt like to have your skin, your whole body ripped open for people that you knew would disobey you and even change your truth into a truth that is more suitable for our generation. But he still did it because his love is greater than his judgment. But he's the one who put you in relationship with God. Now, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord in both a good way and a bad way, but I knew I'd broken relationship with my Father in heaven because I didn't want to listen to what He told me to do. And what I was, without even trying to, doing is I was mocking the grace of God. And He's like, Ben, in other words, Jesus is like, Ben, my Father's not mocked. Do you think He doesn't know everything? You haven't done this for six months. It shows Him that you don't respect Him. We think that's weird. Thank you, my friend. Bless you so much. Thank you. We think that's very strange because God's supposed to be this all-loving, all-merciful person. But if anybody did that to you, you would totally not behave that way to them. If someone came into your house and slept with your wife or tried to and did something to you and then said, hey, I want to come over again and just sleep at the house, you wouldn't say yes. 
Do you know why you wouldn't? Because you wouldn't believe that their nature's changed. What we expect, though, is God to be on the leash of our false grace. That I'll change when I'm ready, God. And I'll do what, what I want when I want to do it. And because of that, and I'm saying this with a lot of fear and trembling, because I used to do this to the Lord. I used to do it to Him. I used to watch porn and think in my head, oh, in an hour or so, I'll repent. I even had like a system of how I'd repent. I knew what I'd do. I'd go for a walk and I'm so sorry, God. And I'd try and stir up my conscience. Ben, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows to the flesh, from the flesh, he'll reap corruption. I don't want to reap corruption, do you? <laughs> my tooth, I put so much sugar on there, I, re I reaped corruption. Someone's like, hey, you should, probably should stop eating a lot of sugar, you know? I'm like, nah, that's all good. Wasn't all good. I reaped corruption. But I'm thankful that at that point I wasn't like, oh, let me just keep eating the sugar. But you know, to be quite honest with you, something in my conscience, this is how deceived our own thoughts can be, doesn't want to face pain. It doesn't want to cut the thing off. It wants to keep it there. It wants to keep feeding on a, on a source that isn't from God. Now, this isn't just about sexual sin. This can be about food. This can be about the way you treat each other as husband and wife. God is watching our lives, and He's not watching like Big Brother, waiting to punish. He's watching because He wants to pour grace out so you can become the fullness of the flower He created you to be, and you can enter your entire destiny. He doesn't want you to miss your destiny. But what happens is when you begin to reap corruption, it begins to take one foot off the right path and then two feet off the path. And all of a sudden, you find yourself unaligned with God. And then all of a sudden, it's dry seasons. It's I need prayer every week. It's problems. It's gossip. It's relationship bust-ups. It's financial issues. It's all these number of things begin to follow that, that time when you're not aligned with what Jesus said to be. And he's not angry. He's not like, oh, I'm going to punish you out of out of this sin, but you know what happens sometimes is we learn the hard way instead of learning God's way, and I learned the hard way with porn. It's hurting my body, it's hurting my relationships, I can't think properly, I'm having dreams about uh, hell, I'm having uh, all these thoughts about women that I don't want now, but for some reason I started something in my thinking and it's reaping corruption. So what do you do when you've done that? Let's go to 1 Timothy 4.1, I'll show you what to do. 1 Timothy 4.1. God isn't mocked. This is all His Word, by the way. This is not <clears throat> an opinion. Okay? The Spirit expressly says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The doctrine of demons isn't like, hey, let's pray with our hands sideways and not up. The doctrine of demons is anything that, that the enemy can get, a, he can get a clutch in you by. And what I mean by that is, if he can get you to gossip, if he can get you to hate one church and you're the only church, if he can do that in you, what he'll do is he'll get a hook inside you. If he takes a fingernail, he wants the whole body. That's just what he's like. Because he, didn't, he doesn't want any of us to express God in fullness. But, but he's going to lose that battle. Because we're going to follow God. It says, they speak lies in hypocrisy, which means they're speaking about all these different things, but they actually don't live it. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, what happened to me when I used to watch that stuff is I would sear my conscience. So, you know when you're first a new baby Christian, you're like, hey man, I got saved. You know, and then, and then you, like, you see your brother or something and, and your brother says, I don't believe in God. And, you, and you, you're like, um, you should, man. He, God loves you. And you're just so like full of love and full of fire all the time. Baby Christian, you're like, hey. And you're just so full on. And, and then all of a sudden, um, <clears throat> your brother says, F off. And, you, and a bit of your old nature, 
you F off, you know? And then all of a sudden, you're like this. When you're a baby Christian, you're like, oh. It feels like someone, as soon as you grieved the Holy Spirit, it was like, oh. It feels terrible. And then, in that moment, the Spirit of God's grieving us so we can go, bro, I'm so sorry. I should not have said that to you. That was not the right way to say things. And then your conscience stays alive. But what happens most of the time is people do this. They go, you F off. And then they go to some other person and they go, this guy told me to F off. And what you've done then is you've turned that, that sharp pricking of the conscience into a dull one. Now, next time someone tells you, get away, you go, you get away. And it's only a little flick of the conscience. And then pretty soon after that, it's so seared that you can now swear like a trooper, get mad all the time, go to church on Sunday, raise your hands, love you, bro, love you too, and then you're yelling at your wife. But what's happened is your conscience has been seared. So when the conscience is seared, the grace is gone. Because now you have an area that's dead, you don't even know it's dead. Interesting thing about my tooth is I could feel nothing until they pulled it out. It was dead. I could even chew on the broken tooth. It was not until they actually pulled it out that that searing and the dead nerves were alive again because underneath, the Spirit of God is still in you. But you shut Him down by constantly doing the same thing and saying, God's grace covers me. No, God's grace empowers you out. And if you see your conscience, what you've done is you've turned the grace of God, not into just a license for sin, but into an excuse for unrighteousness. So you'll then make what is sin holy. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some people will make then suspicion. They'll make it and flip it and make it the gift of discernment. So they'll turn their suspicious, critical, negative ways into the gift of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that even though the Holy Spirit, all those times they were negative, angry, bitter at Christians, bitter at each other, speaking wrong. He was pricking their conscience. They kept shutting it down and shutting it down and shutting it down to the point where the enemy comes in with deception. Then when the enemy comes in, he turns what was actually the Spirit of God gripping and grieving you to keep you in purity and keep you free into a gift of the Spirit, which becomes a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, people are like, wow, he's so discerning. No, it's a negative, demonic demon. You don't want that. I've met people like that. I met a woman on the prayer line in Singen, Germany. She came to me, she was 60 years old, or a bit less, 58. And she said to me, she goes, can you pray for me? She goes, I need a word from God. I said, I don't have anything, but I'll check the mail. So I prayed for her. I said, I feel something about relationships. And I feel something about there's going to be a breaking or something. She goes, thank you, straight away, thank you. I was like, oh, cool, thank you for what? And she goes, I needed that exact word. That is exactly what is going on. Thank you. And I was like, wow, praise God. And she goes, I, I'm going to divorce my husband. And I wanted a confirmation. And I said, excuse me? I said, I said there's going to be a breaking of relationship. I didn't say divorce your husband. And then she says, well, I've already got another man who I'm sleeping with. Now you think that's, I, yeah, and we're like, whoa, that is phenomenal. We think that's well. But when you're married and you're watching porn, you're also sleeping with someone else. You're doing the same thing. When you're like this, praise, you praise, you praise, you Jesus. The mouth is flowing like it says in James with all these beauties of God. Next minute, bitter, bitter, gossip, slander, criticism about everybody else around your life. You're doing the same thing. It's the same. It's turning grace into lasciviousness, unrestrained. So I said to her, uh, you need to repent right now. I said, there's a very high chance that you are going to hell. And she's like, what? I said, very, very strong chance that if you do not change your life, you'll go to hell because you've turned God's, you've so seared your conscience that now you are praying for the Holy Spirit to verify your sin conduct. 
That's how seared she was. She's getting a word from the Holy Spirit to bless her sin. I couldn't believe how seared that is. But I had mercy. And God, this is the remarkable thing about God. You would think God would just like get her out of the church. She was the leader of the prayer, the whole prayer thing of the whole church. And I said, where is your husband? And she pointed. She goes, over there. He was in the church also. I brought him. I brought her together. And I said, both of you are in very serious trouble, but God is merciful. God could have, like that, taken their lives away. God could have taken them out of the church. He could have done anything. But God knew there was going to be a day that they had a chance to be realigned. They had a chance to go back to the original place where they first begin to sear the the consciousness of the Holy Spirit speaking and change real grace into false grace. There'd be a day that they could go back to the true grace. So I said, would you both repent? And he said, well, I'm sleeping with a woman also. I said, okay. I said, both of you are in serious trouble. I said, the Lord is not mocked. I said that Galatians 6 verse, God isn't mocked. He sees everything. You think you're hiding from God. You think that you can just go, well, it's just hard because it's physical and you know, and, and we're, you know, young, and it's, it's not the way with God, like, he's not going to, it's like kids, when they try and make excuses, when they tell their mom, I didn't steal it, I didn't steal that, it was him, and, and you, the mom saw it, God sees everything, you know, sometimes we put him in this box of like, he's just a big God, magic cloud God, hanging up there, super friendly, and he's actually in personal covenant relationship with you, and not only that, he paid blood for your life, so I told them, I said, I warn you, you'll be cut off from God's grace because you're cutting yourself off. It's not God trying to get you out of the kingdom, it's you. But you want God to justify your satanic, and I say satanic because it's the way of Satan, to incorporate a belief system of God and live like hell. That's Satan's way. He's like, here I am in heaven, I'm the worship angel, and guess what he was doing? The whole time he's in heaven, he was turning and twisting everyone against God. So he existed in a heavenly place while he was sinning. Many Christians, I've done it, existed in heavenly like heavenly relationship, but justifying a very prominent area of darkness. And so they repented. The woman got so fearful, I didn't try and make her afraid. The fear of the Lord touched her heart so much, she fell over. Like not backwards, fell over, screaming, trembling. I put my hand on her head and straight away, this demon just got screaming, came screaming out of her very fast, spirit of lust. So guess what happened? Afterwards, they broke both relationships off, and that was the original word, breaking of relationship, right? Or something. They broke both relationships off, and then they got back together, and they fought for their marriage, and God extended mercy to them. It's wonderful. Some, though, speak lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. When's the last time you seared your conscience? Can you remember? Was it with a phone conversation with mom? Was it a a time where you thought, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, it's only 50 bucks. I know it's probably my bro, bro, he had his wallet there before. It's 50 bucks. I'm just going to take it. I need it. And you see it justifying it. You looked at that girl, watched her. And then all of a sudden your mind just began to speak. You're a young man. It's okay. You're a young man. You're a young woman. It's okay to touch a bit. We love each other. When you do that, when you see your conscience, the person that suffers the most is you, but the person that really hurts the most is Jesus Christ, because he's in love with you more than you're even in love with you. He's so in love with you that all he wants to do is give you grace and mercy. That's all he wants. Even a message like this, it's not to try and get you to come to some lowly place where you feel so disempowered. No, I'm just sharing with you what grace is not. Grace is not 
an unrestrained desire that you can't control that then forgives you after it. Grace is not mocking God, thinking he doesn't see and he won't give an account. That's not grace. Grace is not saying, I can have see my conscience and then turn that and, and make that like I'm confident. Because that's what I was doing. I was telling people, it's really hard, we live together, it's really challenging, we do this, we do that. Well, it wasn't hard, it was a choice. Let me explain to you quickly what true grace is. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, and then we'll finish in just a sec. True grace. Titus 2. Looking for it quickly. For me, um, the Holy Spirit will sometimes say to me um, <clears throat> to clean the toilet. <laughs> God ever told you anything weird like that? Clean your car, clean your toilet. How cool is that? <laughs> God's like, clean your toilet. Why the heck would God care about that? Do you know there was a man and uh, he had this thing that the Lord told him to do every morning. He told him to fold his sheets. Just fold your sheets and do your bed. And uh, every day he did it. And then one day he drove all the way to work and he remembered he didn't fold his sheets. And he was like 30, 40 minutes away. And he was like, oh, well, it's okay. And God told him, turn around. He turned around, he drove another 40 minutes back and he folded his sheets on the bed. And the Lord said to him, because you did this, because you kept that, that, that grace that empowers you to live differently, he goes, I'm gonna give you an international worldwide ministry for folding, because you folded sheets. It's nothing to do with how great he was or anything. It was to do with what God was seeing that others don't see. So God sees true grace. I'm just trying to find this scripture in Titus. Is it on the screen? Yep. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Next verse. Teaching us that denying... First, sorry, go back to the first verse, just really quick. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many men? That's very important, isn't it? Because sometimes you think you're cut off from grace and the guy next to you gets a whole truckload. It's not true. The same grace is there for all of us. Next verse, teaching us. So grace is our teacher. Law is not your teacher. You knowing today that, hey, I've been doing that, I've done the wrong thing, that's not gonna teach you anything. But being aware of it will bring you to this teacher, the grace that empowers you, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. I love that because the grace of God teaches and empowers you to deny. It doesn't empower you to be rigid. It doesn't teach you to, to try harder. It teaches you just to deny what you were never born for. It doesn't teach you to try and fix what you, you were born into. It, it didn't, grace didn't set me free to try, sorry, grace didn't empower me to try and fix my porn addiction. Grace did not do that. Grace empowered me to deny it. And when I looked toward Jesus, I was aligned correctly with Him. And what happened was, a 20 plus year addiction, one day, gone. One day, like that, gone. Now, do you know the statistics of how hard it is for a 20 year addiction to be gone in one day? If you're a heroin addict, you'd know. If you're a heroin addict 20 years and you're actually alive, that's a miracle because it's such a dangerous thing. But the grace of God, deny, I denied this and my alignment with it. And I decided real grace is not to, for me to be forgiven. Real grace is for me to apprehend power to walk different. Do you understand? You don't just get forgiven from the black into the gray. You turn from the black and this huge white road of glory and life and love is right there for you. 
But if you shut it down, and you justify sin in your life of any form, it could be just relationship problem with you and your husband, or friend, gossip, criticism, looking at Instagram for four hours and watching girls on Instagram. Maybe it's not porn, but it's just as much porn in your thinking. Masturbation, uh, st subtle stealing. Um, it can be anything, anything we say that God's got grace for me in this anyway, anything. We're kidding ourselves and uh, I'll finish with this. You know what the world sees when they see that? You know the number one thing people told me on the street when I go to preach? I don't wanna be a Christian because most of them are what? Why do they say that all the time? Why is that so common? Do they ever say to you, Muslims are hypocrites? No, do you know why? Because they know, they're like, if they think something, they're, they're zealous. Why do they say Christians are hypocrites? Do you remember, you remember when your first favorite band came out, their first album? It was so raw, it was pure. Their first album was like, that was the best album. And then when they got signed up to the label, then they, they got all these, the money came in and they changed and the, the next albums were crappy. You remember how that happened? Yeah, anyone can relate to that? Your first band, they were like, that was their, their best album and now they've kind of compromised. Now they sound like commercialized. Do you know why that happens? It's because all of a sudden other things come and feed in to that pure raw love for music and now they're trying to make some pop song and they've lost their edge and they say it's just like hypocritical music because they just become like everybody else. The same thing when a new believer comes in, they're raw, they're filled with God, but all of a sudden they realize, oh, this thing, this grace is bigger than just being fully for Jesus. I can do what I want. I see other people do what they want and it dulls down the consciousness and all of a sudden every Christian's putting out a different kind of Jesus album and it doesn't sound the same and it doesn't look the same. That's because we've changed grace. This is the last verse I'll read over you, it's Acts 20, 32. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. Grace comes when you align yourself with this. That's where grace is found. It doesn't matter what sin you've done. It doesn't matter if you cheat on your wife in here. It doesn't matter even if you're not a Christian. You're like, my life is going in circles. It is running like madness. The same cross, the same blood, the same mercy can be poured out to you. But you've got to obey this word. And the word is, come to me. Any other thing you have that is greater than Jesus, forsake it and just come to the river of grace. If you've sinned and you think you've got away with it, you haven't, God still sees it. You know, some of you will think, well, time forgave my sin. You'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ and you'll be ashamed on that day because what you'll see is all of these videos of that time with this person and this person and you thought time healed the sin. Time does not forgive sin. I remember someone I knew who they, they, they sinned and then they got married and now because they married, they thought that marriage means it healed all those years and years of them doing the wrong thing. That's not, that's not true. <laughs> marriage doesn't fix all the sin you did. That's like a guy saying, I, I robbed a bank, but then I started to work at the bank the day later, so it doesn't matter that I robbed anymore because now I'm serving the bank. But still, I have another account there that had millions of dollars, but now I serve the bank, so I've paid my sin back. You cannot pay your sin back. You can only do one thing, you confess it and forsake it. But if you're not willing to confess it, and if you're not willing to forsake it, what you'll do is you'll see your conscience with a hot iron, and then you'll justify it, and you'll think, I'm doing better these days. So it doesn't matter what I did. That's not the way God calls us to live. He'll give, you'll give an account for our lives. I'll give an account for mine. I found out in my team, I'll never say who, but 
one person or two people that were struggling, not with major things, but just little things. And they weren't telling people because they just thought, I'll just get over it in my own strength. That's one of the devil's loveliest tricks. You hide in that dark corner and me and you will talk this out. We'll get through this somehow. You know, you can, you can beat me. Let's go and have a, a boxing match in the corner with your struggle. You and me can fight this out. You need Jesus to, you need to walk out of that corner and let Jesus go into that corner and smack him in the head. That's what you need to do. You need to, get, you need to tap on the ground and just, you know, put your hand through the ropes and say, tap, you're in Jesus. And get out of that ring and let Jesus come in and go, hey, come here, demon. That's what you need to do. Or you can say, but you don't know how hard it is for me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. You can make all the excuses in the world. I was, uh, me and my mom, my tooth was so sore yesterday and she said something to me. And I said, I wasn't super rude, but I said, I go, mom, that's not the reason my tooth is sore because you know, moms always have a theory and stuff. And, uh, and I said, that is not the reason. That's not the reason. But then straight away, the Holy Spirit just went, hey, Ben, that's not the way we talk to moms, is it? And I'm like, hey, mom, I'm in agony. I'm in pain. I'm like throbbing. And I'm like, hey, mom, I'm so sorry. Why, why would I be able to do that? I should go, I'm in pain. Don't you get it, woman? <laughs> sorry, I scared you. He stopped right there. Hey, I love you. God's grace will empower you out of this. He's a lovely kid. I said, Mom, I'm sorry. You know why? Because I don't want my conscience to be defiled. You know who one of my heroes is? Paul the Apostle. What did he say? Until right now, until this day, which is like 30 years into his ministry, I've lived my life with a clear conscience. Wouldn't you love it if someone says, come to the bar, come to the bar, and peer pressure's sucking you, but all of a sudden you're like, nah, I'm not coming, man because your conscience tells you don't go. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love it when you're about to make a business deal and the Spirit of God's like, don't make a deal with that guy. It's not trustworthy. And instead of the money, you hear the voice. And you're like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. All of a sudden you flourish. Wouldn't you love it if you just chose love instead of sex and define love as a bigger picture than 10 minutes in bed? If you define love as a whole rather than just a 10 minutes of, of enjoyment? And then you could go, you know what? I don't need the 10 minutes from you, sweetheart, because you as a person are so much more valuable. On our wedding night, I want to give you this gift and I want to wake up and, and love you every day, not just in this 10 minutes. What a gift that is. Wouldn't it be amazing when a person looks in the eyes to try and find out whether you really believe in God and threatens you and what comes out of you is love because you're not just trying to win somebody's approval over because you haven't dulled down your conscience to try and win everybody like some puppet on strings. The world doesn't need any more puppets. They need real people. And they need real Jesus people. And I'm not ashamed to say that's the road I want to go. I need a truckload of mercy and so do you. We need to be washed daily. And the washing of the Word washes your conscience. But we do not need to change grace into false grace. So if you have sin in your life, God's not mad at you. That woman and her husband who both had double husband and wives, God forgave them and like that, they were restored. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this one or for other information, check out our website at firechurch.com.au.